The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. Well, as we get uh, ready to open the embassy in Israel today, we need to speak of the hate that dare not speak its name. Not the love that dare not speak its name, but the hate that dare not speak its name. The hate that increasingly spreads throughout the world, ravaging civilizations, spreading a doctrine of hate and violence. But as if we're in some sort of abusive relationship and are afraid of speaking out, we can't say exactly what it is for fear of our lives. Yesterday, the hate that we dare not speak its name attacked three churches in Indonesia, three Christian churches on a Sunday, the day of worship. The hate that dare not speak its name was disguised. It was disguised as a family, a couple and their four children. They all had bombs strapped to themselves. They walked into churches and blew themselves up. At least 13 churchgoers died. Two police died. More than 40 were injured. You see what happened in Paris? The hate that we dare not speak its name killed people. This time with a knife. They don't have access to guns. And in France, they're not enlightened enough to take away the knives. Because after all, it's the knives. It's not the hate. We know this and have known this for a long time. But it bears repeating. The hate that dare not speak its name is spreading. It's multiplying. And as it does... It strangles the rest of the world just a little bit tighter. In the Gaza Strip, we're seeing that hate. But let's not talk about it. Let's just live in fear. Shuffle our feet. And hear the rumble approaching. The rumble of the hate that we dare not speak its name. It's Monday, May 14th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So, we are in the midst of opening the embassy right now in Jerusalem. It is, uh, it is, it is happening in probably the safest place in the world today, and that is Jerusalem. Uh, they have the city, you know, locked down tight. And one of the reasons why they have it locked down so tight is because of uh, uh, what is happening on the Gaza Strip. What's happening on the Gaza Strip is uh, remarkable. Apparently, uh, just Israelis are just killing innocent Palestinians. I don't know if you saw that, Stu. Yeah, that's that's the big. Uh, that's what I've heard on the news uh, all yeah, day yeah. as uh, dozens of pa- innocent Palestinians innocent. who just happen to be strolling by a, a mm-hmm, fence mm-hmm. that they didn't put up. They didn't want that. No, of course there. not. Um, and so they were just walking by a fence and were just gunned down by Israeli troops. This is what happens over and over and over and over. And just over innocently again. gunned down. It's and you know what? It's something we knew was going to happen when Trump took these steps. Yeah. You know, Trump yeah. moved uh, this. You know, this embassy to Jerusalem. Now, of course, every other president has promised this for decades, mm-hmm. um, and Trump actually decided to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, to his, uh, I would say, to his credit, in an alternative universe. But here, I want to make sure we focus on this. Just caused death. 
Mm-hmm. That is legitimately how it's being covered. It's like this, there's this un, uh, unavoidable consequence. When you move a building from one city to another city. Oh, my gosh. Of course, it's going to cause death. Yeah. I mean, you saw what happened with the Wicked Witch of the West. Didn't the building land on her? That's pro- I assume that's what's happening here because to the Palestinians. Yeah, because the Palestinians because the bill they must have put, picked it up in a, mm-hmm. in a in a plane. No, they didn't. And dropped it on a bunch of protesters. No, they didn't. Because it act, they act as if it's an unavoidable consequence mm-hmm. when someone moves a building from one mm-hmm. city to another that you must rush against armed soldiers at a mm-hmm. fence. Mm-hmm. That's something that mm-hmm. must occur. Mm-hmm. It cannot be avoided mm-hmm. under any circumstance. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, this was planned before that. The hmm? the uh, you know the march of return oh yeah hmm. so that was planned well, before you have to understand this is a, a border um, between the Gaza Strip that's part of Palestine and of course Israel mm-hmm. uh, another separate country that has uh, nothing no, to actually, do hmm? Hmm? No, actually no it's all part of part of the same oh. You know, Wow, that's that's totally different. It's almost as if they shouldn't be announcing it as the border between the Gaza Strip and Israel, because really there isn't one, is there? Uh, no, 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 it's, no, no. And this no. is—I mean, just watching this unfold, they're saying now. You know, the Palestinians are saying fifteen hundred injured, thirty-seven dead, uh, and that they just don't going care about their own people. Absolutely not. And and this is a point that uh, that it needs to be made. And that there is—have you heard any Arab? pushback to the uh jerusalem embassy have you noticed i i have you heard word one from iran you heard word one from saudi arabia have you heard word one from anybody in this region other uh, than yes. the palestinians saudi arabia i have yeah <laughs> yeah saudi arabia said to the palestinians you know take a peace deal or shut up yeah. that was the actual quote or shut up jordan egypt you haven't heard much of anything so for all of the uh, uh, the effect that you're supposed to be feeling from the evilness of the Jewish state, the 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 is the region is not pushing back against this because I mean look, you say what you want about this move because you can say well it's going to cause violence. What do you mean it's going to cause violence? Who's responsible for that? When you rush a fence, when there are people with guns behind it. There's a fence there because they believe they're going to be attacked. When 1,500 people rush the fence, what the hell do you think that they believe is happening? And it is happening. You're rushing the fence. It's an attack. And yes, they're going to be, at that point, you're going to have to, to fire and push back the attackers. That is what's going to happen. Why are you such a hater? I mean, this is ridiculous. Why are you such a hater? I'm not a hater. Yeah, you I, are. You I just, believe. You just hate Palestinians. I don't hate Palestinians. Yeah, you do. You, know you what? hate I would Palestinians. Lo- you just love the Jews. <laughs> I do love the Jews. I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, and, that you know, they've, they've, they've earned that love. Uh, yeah, you know, so this is the problem. Can you, name, uh, can you name any other country that has been attacked and then told to give the land back that they took in that war. Cannot think. Cannot think of any. No, I can't think of any. They were attacked. It's like imagine, imagine if we were uh, attacked by Canada, and we pushed them back to Montreal, and we took the land in between the United States border and Montreal. 
And we we took it because it was strategic. We could not have them living right on top of us. And so we push them back. And can you imagine? Well, yes, you could. You could. America would be, they would demand that America do the same thing. So let's reverse it. Imagine that uh, Canada pushes into the United States and takes Chicago and Detroit because we attacked them. You think the world would say anything other than good? (laughs) Probably not. I mean, look what they did to Germany. Germany attacked in World War I. They took the land that was theirs. The Rhineland, they just took it. Yeah. And said, well, it's for reparations. They didn't. Wait a minute. What? And later, Hitler did demand the land back, right? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and gee, look yeah. what everybody did. Yep. I, look, it's a uh, that's the only th- example I was trying to come up with. That's about the only one I can think of. And usually you don't want to use Hitler for an example of your side. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't normally want to be yeah. like, hey, well, I do have that Hitler example. It's not yeah, something. No, but he didn't take the land. No, he asked for it, yeah, and they he did give it for, for him uh, under uh, at the point of a gun, uh, certainly. Uh, but still, no, no. I mean, in World War One. Okay, yeah. In World War One, mm-hmm. they took the land. Mm-hmm. The, the Germany lost. The Allies didn't even occupy it. They just said, "And you're giving us this land, right?" Which was his motivation later on. His first, right. his first real request, correct? And is <laughs> quote anybody, unquote request, right? And uh, does anybody that. think that, that you know that was a good example? No, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Want to use Hitler as an example for your side? No, that's usually a bad example. It's just you know, look, we, we this shouldn't. We all know this is true, and this is an un, you know, there is there's violence going on over there, and people are going to focus on that. Um, because it's a loss of life and it's real, but it's it's unnecessary. This is this is true. We all know what the facts are, and this is because from a Trump perspective, an unqualified good day, because he's admitting something that everybody knows is true and has denied. Yeah. And if you want to talk about something central to Trump's victory and what people like about him, it's that right. People like the fact that when you go uh, you watch every news channel today and none of them are mentioning the fact that everyone on earth knows Jerusalem is the capital of Israel there's a fundamental fact at the center of all of this that everybody knows is true and everyone is denying and has been denying for multiple decades so you know what the you know what the next big movement is the big the next big movement i'm convinced is the movement of no the courage of hmm no Mm-mm. well the capital is tel aviv mm. no no it's really not i know it you know it the maps know it it's the eternal capital of israel is jerusalem it was the historic capital of israel um, their seat of government is in Jerusalem. That's where they have all of the buildings. How can you possibly say that's like saying the Capitol building is in Washington, but our real capital is Topeka, Kansas? No, it's not. No. And I'm not going to play along. You know, uh, just because you think you're a woman, even though you're a man. Uh, I'm not going to. No, Mm-mm. I'm not going to tell you that you're a you're a woman because you're not. 
you you just decided today that you're a woman and now I have to call you a woman? No. Mm -mm. No, because there's something called science. No. That's the real movement. That's the movement that is coming next and it will come from very brave people. Now, I'm not going to deny everything I know to be true. Mm. No. Yeah, but I really would like you to. So mm. if you could just. No. Yeah, but what I'm saying is I have a new idea. No. What if I say science a bunch of times? Will you then? No. No, but I really. Nope. But I feel nope. that. My, nope. My feelings. Nope. No. No. That is going to become the cry of the revolution. Mm. No. No. The June Fed meeting is really, really, it's not going to work for a flag. It really doesn't. mm, No, but how would you spell? mm, No, no, no. I mean, it's almost like not even no, it's nah. Yeah, but it is. I mean, think about that. Think of the power of that now. Right now, you know, it's guns that are causing all the violence. Mm, No, no. Well, it's uh, it's poverty that is causing Islam to be. mm, No. Think of that. That is revolutionary. You are saying two plus two equals five. Mm, no. no. It doesn't. It's going to be the most dangerous word spoken. May it come from your lips. June Fed meeting. It's coming up in, uh, well, June, the 12th and 13th. Economists overwhelmingly are predicting the Fed is going to raise interest rates. That means if you found a home that you're interested in financing, or if you're interested in taking advantage of today's competitively low rates, do so now before the June 12th meeting and American Financing can help. So whether you're buying your first home or your next home or even an investment home, let American Financing customize the right loan program for you. You can pre-qualify in 10 minutes. You can close in as fast as 10 days. It's American Financing. Now, they have employee uh, salary-based mortgage consultants. So they don't work on commission. They work for you. And they have an A-plus rating with the BBB and over 1,700 Google reviews. So you can find out about them yourself. They offer e-sign so you can complete your documents from the comfort of your own home. There are no upfront fees and you can utilize every single loan in the industry from Jumbo to FHA, VA, HARP, Streamline, Conventional, USDA, all of them. And they'll customize it to fit your financial needs. Licensed in all 50 states. So call American Financing. The number is 800-906-2440. 800-906-2440. Buying a new house? Do it now and finance with AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So imagine, imagine a warrant out for your arrest and you did nothing and, and, and what you were arrested for was stealing a car and then leading police in a high-speed chase. This is exactly what happened in Colorado. Um, some people were pulled over. They were finally, finally captured, and they were in jail. 
And the police said, so whose plan was this? And they said, um, uh, it was a homeless guy, a homeless guy. And he, he kind of forced us into this. He forced it. Really? Yeah. His name was McCoy or McKay or McCabe. I, I'm not sure exactly. Well, what was his first name? It was John. No, it was, it was uh, Jason. It was Josh. Yeah, Josh. It was John, Jason, or Josh. McKay, McCoy, or something like that. So the police take that, and they find a guy named Joshua McKay. Well, he, he had to be the guy. They swear out a search warrant for him. I'm sorry, an arrest warrant. They found him just in the DMV uh, database, and they took his photo to two of the witnesses and said, can you identify this man? They're like, yeah, that's him. John McCoy. And they're like, no, it's Joshua McKay. That was the name. That was the name. Well, he was 80 miles away. And uh, he was living with his wife and his infant son. His, he and his wife had a hard time uh, getting pregnant. She had finally gotten pregnant, had this infant. Uh, nobody tried contacting him. And unfortunately, um, the DMV revoked his license. So he thought, okay, well, this is a big mix-up. And he ended up uh, in jail, arrested, and forced to fight his, for his freedom in court. He was just cleared of this. And he's going to be joining us here in a second. Can you imagine the case of mistaken identity when guys just are making something up? Yeah, I think his name was uh, Gray Glenn Burkbeck. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> this is uh, all the outstanding warrants on me are also false identity cases. I want to make that clear. <laughs> Wait, there's a warrant? Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I didn't. They have some video that looks, looks like, like I was there, but uh, you know what? Can I tell you something <laughs> that when you say that now, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make any sense. You say that in three years, they're going to have video on all of us. It's amazing because we've talked about that so many times of how they can alter these things already, right? They're already imagine? putting famous faces in porn movies. I mean, imagine what's like a government could could be capable of. Uh, you know, if they really wanted to. And there's there's that effective period, too, be, between where no one can fake video convincingly, where we've been in the past, and everyone can do it so there's not necessarily as much impact. There's a there's a window in between those two areas. That we're about to hit. That we're about to hit is going to be very scary, where it will work every time it's tried. And, and you know, the fact that they, they're already creating apps to allow people to do these things at basic levels. In a few years. So it's bad. It's bad if you are accused and you're innocent. It's really, really bad. But what is that also going to do for those who are guilty? 
Will any over time will anyone believe? Well, no, I saw it. I saw it. I you won't be able to believe your eyes. Now, the director Alfred Hitchcock made some of my favorite movies because in in every movie it's there by the grace of God go I. In almost every single one of his movies, it's an innocent guy just getting trapped into something that you're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm not that guy. One of my biggest fears, I don't know why, as a kid, I think is because I grew up, I don't think, do you remember Scared Straight, Stu? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the, that first came out in the 70s, and I was coming of age in the 70s, and I remember seeing, you know, my folks sitting me down, you know, like, we're watching this prison show on ABC. <laughs> and they're like, okay. <laughs> and I was always afraid that I was going to be wrongly accused and end up in prison somehow or another. Well, the good news is, won't be wrongly excused. I learned that from George Soros. <laughs> anyway, um, it's your worst nightmare. Well, that that kind of happened and could have been a lot worse than it was to a guy named Joshua McKay. He's uh, with us now. Uh, welcome, Josh. How are you? I'm pretty good. How about yourself, Glenn? Good. So you're living in Colorado. How old are you? I'm 26 years old. 26 years old. Tell me what happened to you. So back in September, um, we, we get a letter in the mail that my license, my driver's license is about to be revoked. And I thought, that's odd. Maybe there's some sort of mix up at the DMV, maybe, you know. And so I called the number on the letter and the lady at the courthouse said, you know, is your name Joshua McKay, social security number, da, 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 da. And I said, yes, ma'am. And, and she says, Sir, you need to hire a lawyer. You have a felony warrant for your arrest. And, and I, you know, I thought since it was through the DMV that I had some sort of parking ticket or something, and that's why they were taking my, my right. license. And so my, the first thing I said was, oh, my gosh, how old are those parking tickets? <laughs> I don't think you get a felony for old parking tickets, but go ahead. And, you know, and so and we, we called around and, and sure enough, it was an actual warrant. And so we couldn't get any information from the, the court systems or the sheriff's department on what was going on. So until the warrant got quashed. So we figured that the best thing we needed to do, I had to turn myself into jail to at least get the warrant quashed. So I spent a night in jail, still not knowing why I was being charged, but I knew there were felony warrants, a felony warrant. And then... Over the next eight to nine months, I want to say it was nine months, um, the the prosecutor in our case just basically kicked the can down the road um, and didn't you know didn't bother to look at the the evidence we'd provided him. My lawyer James Ahern has did I mean just sent him piles and piles upon evidence showing that I was had an alibi and the prosecutor just kicked the can down the road. But wait, what did, what were you accused of? Okay. Okay. Sorry. I, I uh, I'm a podcast listener, so I, I wasn't sure how much you were talking about it before the before the break. Yeah. Um, no. We 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 touched on it briefly. Go ahead. Okay. So what had ended up happening was three kids were out driving and drunk and you know messing around. They were twenty nineteen twenty year old kids, and they ended up getting in a high speed pursuit with the police and. They they outrun the cops. They they get away, but the the officers are able to get a driver's license. 
So the the deputies run the driver's license. They show up at the house where that license plate is registered to, and they confront these kids who were driving. And the officers say, you know, we want to talk about what happened last night. And they all said, oh, yeah, it, it wasn't me driving. Uh, it was our friend, you know. And so the officers say, well, what's your friend's name? Oh, we don't we don't know him that well. I think his name was like Josh or sometimes people called him Eric. And it was like McCoy or McCoon or McKay. And the deputies go tip, 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 tap in their computer. And they pull up my photo and they say, is this the guy? And they say, yep, yep, that's him. And oh my gosh, here I am. So, so your your attorney just kind of dismisses your evidence. Why? No, 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 no. My attorney did a fantastic job. the The district attorney, the prosecutor, is the one who uh, who just dismissed all of the the evidence. Why? He. <laughs> the emails that that we got back and my lawyer got back basically just said I'm too busy I will look into this later. Oh, okay. I'm, All looking, right. I'm looking into this um you know, I'll get I'll get around to it. Um and James even my lawyer sorry, um he even you know, he took the opportunity on my first court date to say, look, you know, if if uh if prosecutor Whitfield's not going to answer my emails, then we'll just talk to him in court and talk to him in person. Cause he, you know, he can't leave there. And we show up for my first court date and the prosecutor didn't even show up. Wow. He sent his, he sent his assistant. What did the judge say? Um, well, he, the judge sort of had no, you know, we, we made a motion for dismissal and we made a motion to, you know, remove the identification and, and all the things that lawyers do that are smarter than I am. Mm-hmm. And, and the judge says, well, you know, I can't really proceed without the prosecutor present. So, you know, I'll grant your motion to, you know, cause we had a motion to move to my new job in Utah and, you know, he granted all those motions, but said the prosecutor's not here. I can't really proceed with the case. So see you next, see you in a couple months. How unbelievably irresponsible. So uh, what happened to the kids for making um, this are, false claim? So at first, nothing. Um, it wasn't until the local CBS affiliate who first covered my story, um, you know, put, the, put my story on the news and it got picked up by CNN and it got picked up by The Blaze that um, they made an arrest of the actual people driving. And are they charged with making a f- false claim? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're they're now in custody. Um, I'm not I'm not privy to their specific yeah, yeah. charges, and I'm sure you could look it up somewhere. But um, I do know that they're in custody. Okay. So, Josh, you have your life back. How did it finally resolve? Um. Well, it, it's uh, it's sort of ongoing. We uh, we did have the. Douglas County Sheriff Spurlock reached out to us and, uh, you know, we've gotten a sincere apology and they've made steps to, uh, to make this right for us. And, and, uh, you know, the, the Douglas County Sheriff's department at least has, has been absolutely 100%, you know, fantastic as far as realizing that they made this mistake 
and and trying to make it right. Yeah, everybody makes mistakes, and it's great that they would come clean the um, you know and apologize. The question is, what about the court system? I mean, obviously, the the prosecutor has a real issue. You can't just issue a warrant for somebody's arrest and then that person be denied a speedy trial. Mm-hmm. Well, and 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 the, the the issue, Glenn, is is constitutionally. Zero of my rights were violated. I was offered, by the court system's definition, I was offered a speedy trial within six months of going to trial. Wow. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that, doesn't mean that the, the cost didn't add up. You know, constitutionally, I was allowed an attorney. I was allowed the right not to perjure myself on the witness stand. You, I mean you know your constitution better than anyone else here. I was not denied any constitutional rights. Um, and so, you know, as far as the, the district attorney office goes and, and all that, like, I don't know. I, I it's, it's sort wow. of this weird purgatory of, I wasn't denied any rights, but I was definitely, you know, we definitely had to pay for it. And we're, you know, you're young. Found- and don't have a lot of money, I would imagine. Um, Josh, how's your wife doing and your baby? My wife is doing fantastic. In fact, she's sitting right next to me uh, listening in. Um, and my son is uh, actually over at his aunt and uncle's house because I don't think I could do this interview without uh, uh, him in the background yeah. <laughs> screaming and tearing stuff up. But, well, but they're, they're amazing and they're a blessing. That's great. That's great. And I'm, I understand that there were some there, there was heat. After the Blaze article, um, some people started giving the sheriff's department heat, and I'm sorry about that. I, I mean, you know, you never know who's going to read and how people are going to react. I hope the article didn't uh, w- didn't feel that way to you uh, or to the sheriff's department because we know that they uh, have apologized and they they took care of business right away. So I apologize for you know trolls. Well, and, and I don't, I don't want you to apologize. Listen, I, I have no problem with demanding accountability in your state and local governments. I have no problem with being disappointed with, you know, our elected officials. That's what our country is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I don't, I don't believe in hate. You know, if if I could get any message out there, it would be that you know people make mistakes, and these our elected officials make mistakes, but that doesn't give us the right to live our lives in hate. You know, Good for you. love fulfills all, God, all God's commandments. That's that's how I try to live my life. And that's I don't want anybody to be hateful on my behalf. Joshua, good for you. Uh, my uh, my uh, uh, greetings to your wife and to your uh, newborn. And and uh, hopefully this is the last brush you have with the police. I mean, at least with, inst- uh, you know, mistaken identity. If you do something wrong, I hope this isn't the only brush with with police. God bless. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. God bless. You bet. Bye-bye. Do you think that's that's a speedy trial? I mean, with the court system backed up, it probably is a legal definition of it, right? I know, but he had to delay his job and his move. You know, imagine that hanging. That's like, that's like. I I know that doctors have to do this because tests take time, but it's kind of like, hey, we think you have cancer. We we need you to come in tomorrow and take a test. 
you take the test. All right, it'd be about 10 days before you... That 10 days is hell. Yeah, yeah. You six, know what I mean? Six or eight months would be incredible. Yes. Six or eight months of, of, you know, possibly you're a felon would be really... Would be excruciating. Feels like there's an example there to how to handle uh, of, as to how to handle something like this, though. Obviously, terrible mistake made at one point, but then you have you know a guy saying, "Let's go through the process." Right? It goes through the process. The sheriff's office steps in, does a good job making it right and doing whatever they can. Yeah. He, there's no huge lawsuit story at the end of this. He, they, I think they had a GoFundMe page to pay for legal expenses. Mm-hmm. Once it, once the issue got taken care of, they took it down rather than trying to make more money off of the publicity it was then generating. I mean, there's a lot these of positives are, to look at. Yeah. These guys are good, good people. All right, tornadoes in Alabama, earthquake, volcano eruption in Hawaii. Three earthquakes in four days off the coast of Oregon. Yes, I mean, I, I, may I just say this is not part of the commercial. This is just a, and this, may I approach the bench, Your Honor, <laughs> and just point out, I've read this someplace before. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, hurricanes, volcanoes. Oh, I remember. It's Al Gore's book. No matter where you live, you need to be prepared for emergencies. And securing food storage makes you the first responder. Because FEMA is not. You are the first responder. Don't wait for somebody to come to the rescue that may never come. My Patriot Supply has top-rated food kit. Millions of Americans have chosen this kit to prepare for the inevitable disaster or hurricane or emergency that will happen in everybody's life. So, they have the popular four-week food supply. This week, it's $99. That's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a, for a full month, four weeks. Low price for this kind of security, $99 for a month. And it is ship-free and discreetly to your door. So, take action. Become the first responder at 800-200-7163. Or you can go online to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. $99 at 800-200-7163. Preparewithglenn.com. So, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, who I really I really like. I think he's unbelievable. I'm a fan of uh, Sherlock and became a fan of his because of that. Uh, he came out this weekend with a bizarre statement, I thought. I mean, it was, you know, nice and it's, you know, it's his money and his career, whatever. But he said he's committed to on taking projects only if his female co-stars receive equal pay. He, he, he calls pay equality a central tenant of feminism, and he's proud to be one of the, um, to be the only one of two men at his production company. Wait, wait, you're, pr- you're proud that your production company has all women except for t- two men? Wouldn't that, <laughs> I mean, wait, what? I don't know. I, I'm a, such a feminist, Glenn, yes. that I want all men executed. <laughs> Me too. That's, that's a stance I'm taking. Okay. I'm going to show you how pro-woman I'm, I am by wiping every man off the face of the earth. That would be you, yeah. Too. <laughs> I'd show. Then people would really not get mad at me if I ever talked to a woman in a way that it was inappropriate in the past. Doesn't <laughs> it just feel like everyone's like, "I swear I'm pro woman. Don't me to me. I promise. I love women. Look at me. Equal pay. Equal everything." 
It's like everyone's trying to make this big statement. He said, if she's not paid the same as men, I'm not doing the picture. <laughs> okay, hang on just a second. Hang on. <laughs> all right. Um, first of all, you know, whatever. That's cool. But are you... Is she bringing the same things to the table that you, Benedict Cumberbatch, are bringing? Is she bringing a name, star power, right. and everything else that you're bringing to the table? Right. And you know what? If uh, uh, I mean, who, you know, I don't know. Scarlett Johansson is a, is across from you. She should make more than you. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Do she you believe in? Do you believe in equal pay? Mm-hmm. If she's making more than you, yeah, she should make more than you because she's a bigger star than you, right. Benny. I don't. I mean, I just, I don't understand this. There are differences, and they have nothing to do with gender. Glenn Beck. You know, it's all the rage. Gender reveal parties. Oh my god! Now, if you're not familiar with these, the patriarchy just continues to roll over people. You might be thinking it's a celebration where a person announces, you know, their true gender to family and friends, where everybody eats cake and toasts the person's pending sex change surgery to become he or she or it, you know, who they've really been the whole time. And it's just the enlightened way to go. But no, that's not what's happening. A gender reveal party is one where parents discover the sex of their own unborn baby. And then pronounce it, not asking for permission. Now, most of these parties now are including an element of surprise for the parents, family, and friends and attendants as they find out the first time whether they're having a boy or a girl, as if they know. Gender reveal parties are a booming industry fueled by social media. Expecting parents now must one-up each other in intention-grabbing ways to announce their baby's gender. Oh my gosh, I can't keep saying this. Event planners in Washington, D.C. are are seeing gender reveal parties that cost up to $25,000. Last week, a couple in Maryland arranged for a Ferris wheel to light up in the color of their baby's sex. Is it going to be pink for a girl? Oh, my gosh. Pink for a girl? What's next? Blue for a boy? How dare you? As the Washington Post reported yesterday, some experts... I'd like to put myself in this category. After all, I am a doctor. Experts are appalled by this gender reveal party trend. And I think the experts are onto something. How can modern parents be so narrow-minded to think that they can actually identify their child's gender because they do or do not have a penis? It is despicable. It's the modern parent's job to be as gender neutral as possible. So you don't unfairly tip the gender balance one way or another for your child. At least have the decency to wait until they're four or five years old when they're capable of making up their own mind of who they are. Old enough to decide for itself whether it's a boy or a girl. Give the child a chance, a name, give the child a number until they're at least six and make sure it's a gender neutral number. What are we cave people to think that we can know if someone's a boy or girl because we have, oh, I guess we got that fancy medical technology. This is crazy. 
These gender reveal parties are grotesque. If playing Mozart for a baby while it's in the womb can make it smarter, can you imagine what the brainwashing it undergoes when it hears mom and dad talking about which gender it is? Oh, (laughs) I'm about to weep for the child. In highlighting this gender reveal party controversy, the Washington Post also referred to unborn babies throughout the piece as babies. What? What? I expect a little more from a progressive media outlet like this. Don't they remember the hard and fast rule that humans in the womb are not babies? Certainly not babies with specific gender. They're fetuses, which is just a clump of cells. Where's the consistency here? As the Post likes to remind us on a never-ending basis, democracy may die in the darkness, but not as fast as common sense dies in progressivism. It's Monday, May 14th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. All right. There is a new story out. Uh, residents in Maryland and Virginia are going to face a, um, a slight increase in premiums for individual Obamacare plans in 2019. We're only letting you know this early because if you have it, you might want to save up just a little bit. Virginia is uh, getting a 64% increase. Uh, And in Maryland, it's a little bit better or worse, depending on which way you want to look at it. Who am I to judge? If you have uh, Obamacare in Maryland, uh, you're getting a 91% increase in your premiums. So that's good, right, Stu? Right? Oh, my gosh. High numbers like that are always good. Right. Mm -hmm. 91%. People must love it. 91% increase because you can't just charge people more than 91%, you know, 91% more for something that they don't absolutely love. Oh, of course not. Unless you, I don't know, maybe legally required them to buy it or something. Yeah. Or, you know, you were on your way to a single payer uh, health system. But, Hmm. uh, you know, the... um, the single-payer health system is coming, and with that comes, dare I say it, death panels. I read a story today about somebody uh, who I think needed a liver transplant, and the, uh, the insurance company said no. And so what did the family do? Well, they wrote a very uh, open op-ed and a open letter to the insurance company saying, please, please, please. And it looks like that may be turned around for them now. Why? Because private companies, you know, don't like negative publicity. Governments don't care. Sarah Gonzalez is with us now, the host of the news and why it matters to tell us a story about something that happened here in Texas that is absolutely incredible. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Glenn. Uh, So there was a gentleman by the name of Chris Dunn. He lived outside of Houston, small town Pasadena. He had severe abdominal pain. So it got so bad, he finally went to the hospital and uh, they ran some tests. They found a mass on his pancreas. 
They sent him home with, you know, some pain meds. Um, he was uninsured, so he didn't want to, you know, do anything else at that time. He said, let me just, well, I'll figure out how to take care of it. He applied for a Harris County gold card, which was what the, you know, people who didn't have a lot of money, they could apply for that within their county and they can try to get, you know, some type of insurance. So he's waiting for that. He becomes too ill. He's vomiting blood. He goes back to the hospital where they put him on a ventilator. No one was really sure why they were so quick to put him on a ventilator, but they put him on a ventilator, transferred him to Houston Methodist. Bigger hospital, you know, Mm -hmm. more capable of handling something like this. They Mm -hmm. can run more tests, lab work. Mm -hmm. So he goes into uh, Houston Methodist. And according to his mom, who I spoke with at the time, this was in 2015, um, his mom said um, that a doctor, a world-renowned doctor, she will never forget his name, she says, came into the room and she, uh, he said, we're going to operate on Chris tomorrow. I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get it out. If I have to take a little bit of his small intestine as well, that's okay. But we're going to f- see what it is. And if we need to take it out, we're going to take it out. And she said, um, I didn't know that you could live without a pancreas. And he said, you can live without a pancreas. You'll just, you'll need insulin. You'll be a diabetic for the rest of your life. But you can live without a pancreas. Now, when she told me that, I didn't even realize it. I, I looked it up to verify. So you can live without a pancreas. Oh, so that would be, that's mm. part of my Glenn Beck weight loss. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just start removing organs start until, removing, you, look, yeah, until yeah. you start to look a little thinner. But yeah. go ahead. So um, apparently that doctor never showed up and things changed drastically for them. So, what do you mean that doctor never showed up? Well, I mean, she said, I, she said, Sarah, I never saw him again. He came into the room. He told me, with you know, they were going to operate. And I, I don't know why, but I never saw him again. So something wow. changed from the time that, you know, he was admitted. Mm-hmm. O- of course, she thinks that it's because that doctor found out that he was uninsured. But, you know, we don't know. So, um, you know, so Chris is there. They, they never bothered to confirm any kind of cancer diagnosis, anything like that. They just assumed that since it was a mass, it was cancer. Um, and after, you know, I think it was eight weeks that he was on this ventilator with no one really bothering to do any further testing, any further diagnosis. Um, the hospital board walks into Chris's room and hands Evelyn a letter, uh, Chris's mom, Evelyn, and they say, um, we are turning off his machines in 10 days. And she says, I don't, you, you can't do that. Who gives you the right to do that? And um, the gentleman in charge said George W. Bush does. So there is a law, and it is called the Texas Advanced Directives Act. And it gives the doctors the ability to give 10 days written notice, and they can turn off your machine for any reason they determine if they say that it's futile care. Now, legally, they don't have um, a responsibility to inform the uh, the family or the patient, whether or not the reason has anything to do with finances, any financial type of reason, nothing. They have no legal responsibility to tell them what reason it is. They just have to get together as a board and determine that it's futile care. And they can give you 10 days and they can turn your machines off in Texas. Okay, so now was he was he still aware at this time he there is video of him out there he was still conscious he was still coherent he was literally begging for his life they were asking him they have him on video saying chris do you want to live and he puts his hands together and he's begging them to keep him alive he knew exactly what was going on so what happened what happened next so uh the family got in contact with texas right to life 
and Texas Right to Life uh, worked with them. They filed, you know, an injunction. They asked for a a two week extension. Uh, took it to court. The court allowed them the two week extension. So they're busy trying to, you know, fight to keep Chris alive, to keep him on the machines, to try to figure out, you know, at this point, there he's been on the machine eight weeks. His lungs can't breathe on their own anymore. Mm-mm. And they actually, the family had a pulmonary um, technician come in and tell them. Quite frankly, I have no idea why they had him on this machine for this long. And, and After it, two to three weeks, you, you're not supposed to keep him on. Yeah. You're, you, you, once you train your body, it's like uh, taking um, uh, painkillers. Right. Your body stops making its natural painkiller. Right. And if you, if you are on a breathing machine after so long, you don't you no longer breathe on your own. Right. So, you know, they had. The, so why did they put him on the machine in the first place? They never told them why. They never gave them an explanation of why they put him on the machine in the first place. So was he having problems breathing? Uh, no. Lung, lung function was never, never his problem. The ventilator, the, it would, they put it in and lung function was never his problem. And they, I mean, she, the family specifically told me in 2015 at the time that it was happening, they were never given a reason by the Pasadena hospital. Do you think this is that. their way of killing him? Yes, I do. Does the family? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, so now he didn't, um, he didn't actually, they never got a chance to turn off his machines because this got stuck in court and he actually ended up, you know, no one's treating whatever this mass is. No one's trying to treat it or find out what it is. And he did end up going into organ failure, but he was alive for eight weeks. They told him when he came into Houston Methodist that he only had two to three weeks to live. And he was just going to die. And he didn't. And they didn't want to do anything about it, try to figure out why he was still alive, anything like that. So Chris died while they were while they were in battle in court. But this law is on the books. And if this family had not found Texas right to life and gotten them involved, he, he would have been gone in 10 days. What's amazing about this story is we've talked about, uh, you know, Charlie Gard and these stories where these, you know, in other countries and we think, this imagine if we don't act this is going to come here it already and you is. brought this up on, on the news and why it matters when we were talking about the last one of these stories yeah. where it actually is here this is not a, a baby which you know is just as we all know a, a fetus a couple weeks later uh that's <laughs> just a fetus and yeah, a couple weeks after that it turns into something else which has very limited value to half of the country seemingly this is a an adult that's conscious that's that's a, that's communicating yeah. Uh, and it still happened in Texas. Yes. That is how far the the culture has, has moved. And do you remember when we were fighting the mm. Terry Schiavo things, Stu? Mm. Yeah. When we were fighting Terry Schiavo, I remember having the arguments on the air with people who said, shut it down. You know, you don't know what she wanted. That was the excuse at the time because she was, they said, brain dead and you couldn't communicate. Well, okay. This guy could communicate. This is a death panel. You don't have the money. You don't have insurance. And if you think that, well, that's because there isn't universal health insurance. Oh, so we can then do what they're doing over in Europe and in the UK, which is just saying your life isn't worth living. You're going to cost too much money. You know, I remember making this argument at the time. There aren't any, but there there weren't people dying on the streets. 
Okay, if you go to a hospital, the hospital is required to treat you. Okay, it was causing all kinds of problems, but that's a better problem to have than just saying, well, you know what? If you don't have the money, you don't get treated. Even that is is more fair if you can find the money for no, in other words, if I can go, you know, uh, online and, and start a, you know, some some sort of a movement where people are sending me money so I can get my loved one to have. That's better than having a government just say, nope, because you have no recourse, none. And that's the one we're rushing towards. The fact that this is happening under multiple different kinds of systems shows it's not an actuarial problem, right? This is not a pro- This is a problem of how we respect life as human beings. This is bigger than like, oh, well, you know, this charge on this insurance plan, and we could solve it with this piece of legislation. We should change the law, you know, that you're talking about here for sure, because it just has obvious negative consequences. But I mean, look at, we just don't, this whole pursuit of life, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, a lot of that seems to just be out the window at this point. Yes. And that is a much deeper societal problem yes. than some healthcare policy. Uh, I will tell you in, in about 10 minutes, I'm going to tell you. So we just now, you don't have a right to life. Mm-hmm. Liberty, we still kind of have that. But property, pursuit of happiness is the other one. That's about to go to the wayside. Wait until I show you what the Fed just suggested for the pensions in Chicago. Mm. Property. Nope. It's unbelievable. We'll do that in just a second. Sarah, thank you so much. We'll talk to you the news and why it matters uh, today at 5.30, immediately following my program, which we have a chalkboard uh, series begins today. Yeah, talking about the... The rise of progressivism in the form of presidential overreach of how progressives have, uh, for the last century or so, um, changed the way the founders really intended that whole branch to be. And you're going to be amazed at where we begin, because we begin with the founders tonight, only at 5 o'clock on theblaze.com slash TV. All right, watch out for links being sent via Facebook Messenger. According to a leading cybersecurity firm, they may contain what's called FaceX worm malware. If you click on the malware link, you're going to be taken to a fake YouTube page in which you'll try to get you to install a browser extension. From there, it can steal passwords, cryptocurrency, funds such as Bitcoin or personal computers for cryptocurrency mining. There are so many threats in today's connected world. It takes one weak link for criminals to get in. That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection will add the power of Norton Security to help protect you against the threats and to your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. And if you do have a problem, they have the agents who will work to fix it. Nobody can stop all identity threats and cyber threats and you know, monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with Norton Security is able to uncover the threats that you might otherwise miss. So go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BECK. Get an additional 10% off your first year. 1-800-LIFELOCK or LifeLock.com. Promo code BECK. Do you own your house or do you rent your house? Now that's that's a you know that's a one question. Well, I know I bought my house. I have a mortgage for my house. No, no, no. 
No, I'm asking that only for those who have actually signed mortgage papers. Do you rent your house or do you do you own your house? I always thought a mortgage was really just a rent to own. Mm -hmm. Let's say you pay it off 30 Mm -hmm. years down the road. Mm -hmm. You've paid it off. Okay. Do you own your house or do you rent your house? Then you own it, right? Hmm. Do you? Well, you just have to pay the taxes. Oh, what? The taxes. Oh, but the property taxes. Yeah. Why? What is that? That's is that rent so I can live Mm -hmm. on the property that I own? (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting question because it's yours. But yeah, uh, but it's not really yours because if I don't pay the tax, what happens? This is an uh, an important question and one that many, many Americans are going to start asking themselves, especially if you live in Illinois. Something that is in the newspaper that uh, isn't getting an awful lot of attention, but should next. This is the Glenn Beck Program. The sun did not shine. It was too wet to play. People sat in their houses all that cold, cold, wet day. Too wet to go out, too wet to play ball. So people sat in their houses doing nothing at all. And then something went bump. And that bump made us jump. Someone was indeed out somewhere out in the muck. Yes, out braving that cold wind and gray of the city, right at 230 LaSalle Street on the third floor of the building. A group of men gathered there, sitting round a big table with suits and voices as gray as they were able. A sign on the door read gravely, Pension Reform, with a question asked after, What lies ahead? One said, I know some good games we can play. I know some new tricks, he said to the group. A lot of good tricks. I will show them to you, and your mother and father will not mind if I do. Yes, it was April 17th, and a man did stand in a room. And something went bump, but not many people heard. 230 LaSalle Street is the Federal Reserve Building in Chicago, and he spoke to a a group of luminaries. There were federal board members. There was the state governor, the county commissioner, the mayor of Chicago, just to name a few. All of them were there to discuss one topic. How do we handle the crumbling, insolvent pension system of the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago within Cook County? At all levels of government, pensions were dramatically underfunded, collectively facing shortfalls of $150 billion as of today. The state pension by itself is underfunded by $112 billion and growing at a rate of $20 million of unfunded promises every single day. Where are they going to get this money? Every day in Illinois, uh, 1,400 baby boomers reach retirement age. Every day. According to the Illinois Policy Institute, with more workers leaving the workforce than entering it, the pension gap is going to grow to over $130 billion by 2024. But there is hope. It's the Federal Reserve. You see, on April 17th, An idea was floated by the Federal Reserve that went bump. 
since Illinois already has one of the nation's highest state income taxes, you can't. You cannot tax people more, right? Where else could revenues be raised to cover the promises made by the government to millions of state, county, and municipal employees to provide them full pay during their retirement? Well, that's when somebody stood up from the Federal Reserve. It's simple. We can't tax incomes anymore. We need to raise the property tax as well. This new proposal is to add an additional 1% annual tax on the value of all homes and real estate. Now, Illinois already has the highest property tax rate in the United States. It averages 2.5% across the state. But adding another 1%, that's no big deal. I mean, people won't even notice it, right? Imagine you're a retired factory worker. You're living on a fixed income in a home with a value of 315000 You currently pay property taxes every year of $7,465. But to cover the current $150 billion pension shortfall, the Federal Reserve is recommending that you now pay a property tax of $10,710 a year. That amounts to a 41% tax increase on every homeowner, every farmer, every, every rental property owner in the entire state. $892 per month. Now, how are you going to do that on a fixed income? That was probably what you paid for that mortgage on your house. Under the Fed's new program to cover overbloated pensions, the residents of Illinois are basically being asked to buy their homes all over again, except not really buy them, because buying implies that you own it and you have possession of it. But this is more of renting every month for the rest of your life with no additional equity, no real ownership, because under this program, you don't own your property because the government does. You're a serf. You're being asked to pay the government for the privilege of living on land that you paid for and then living inside the home that you paid for. Oh, that's too harsh. That's not right. You think it's not true? Miss a few payments. What happens? To get the taxes, the rent you now owe them for your own land, the government will just take your home sell it off to pay the taxes, keep their share, and give you whatever remains after ye old tax collector has filled the government's coffers. Wait a minute, it's my land. No, it's not. No, it's not. You know, we had Bill O'Reilly on the show last Friday, and do you remember what he said? He said the government has got itself so far in debt, taxing income no longer works. Even if they tax the tax incomes of 70, 80, 90%, it will not raise enough money to cover the empty promises that they have made. So they have to start confiscating resources from wherever they can get them. Most people's wealth, wealth is in their homes. The family home represents the largest single investment and asset for over 85 Americans. Bill O'Reilly said it plainly last Friday. Most Americans don't realize and haven't yet accepted that the government will come for you. They will take your home to pay for their promises. 
As crazy as that sounded on Friday, here it is. We have it actually proposed by the Federal Reserve of Chicago to go beyond taxing income and start confiscating the American dream, the family home, the farms, the corner store. You want to know what's funny about this or sad? I'm not sure anymore. According to the Federal Reserve's proposal, the 41% property tax increase on property owners in Illinois will only cover the first five to seven years of the pension shortfall for the state's largest four pensions. That's it. So confiscating the wealth and property of Illinois property owners only kicks the can down the road about five years. But don't worry, they'll have a fix for that. In five to seven years, they'll add just another one or two percent to the property tax rate. And if you can't afford it, then, well, they'll just take your home. Oh, dear, said the man. You did not like our game? Oh, dear, what a shame, what a shame, what a shame. And with a huff and a bump, the man was indeed gone. That is good he is gone. He has gone, gone away. But your mother will come home and she will find this big mess. And this mess is so big and so deep and so tall. We cannot pick it up. There is no way at all. By the way, so you know... When the Chicago Reserve unveiled its solution, apparently in the room, there was an audible gasp. But they'll get used to it. They'll get used to it. All right, I want to share some feedback from the uh, from our partners at uh, Palm Beach, the Palm Beach Letter and Tika Tuari's crypto course. 97% of the listeners uh, that he has given his crypto course uh, have rated it four to five stars. 97%. Here are some of the comments. The lessons are easy to understand and straight to the point. It helps me understand how to go about investing in cryptocurrencies as well as blockchain check technology. Thank you for the good work. Well done. Uh, another one. I was very satisfied with these lessons, especially lessons five and six, which clarified some misconceptions I had about buying and selling cryptocurrencies. Thank you guys for these valuable tools to learn more about the new way of investing. This is this is everything that you need to know when it comes to investing in cryptocurrency. It's confusing. You don't uh, like how, how do I even find this? How do how do I buy it? How do I sell it? Yeah, especially when you go off of the you know top three or four right. available options, and you need to go deeper than that, and people have no idea what. Yeah, doing. and the and the top three or four are pretty stable now. You, you know, to really make the money, you got to go find these these other ones, and there's hundreds of them. How do I find them? How do I buy them? How do I sell them? What does it mean? Which ones? It's a big deal. What is blockchain? You need the smartcryptocourse.com. This is something that we had uh, Tika put together for us uh, at the uh, Palm Beach Research Group. And it's a course that will just give you all of the basics and help you understand the world that is coming your way. Smartcryptocourse.com. Go there now. Smartcryptocourse.com. 
So a few weeks ago, we had uh, a program called Make America Dinner Again, and we invited everybody from the political spectrum. And the idea was, let's not talk about politics first. Let's just get to know each other as human beings. Then we'll talk about, you know, policies and what's going on. Well, there's one one guy at the um, at the dinner. I mean, he's probably 25, 28 years old. He's super libertarian, um, really good guy. He's a musician. Well, in the Dallas Observer today, there's a story. Um, and uh, I love this. Glenn Beck is really a nice guy. And I know I had dinner with him. Um, listen, listen to what he says. And for anybody who says, oh, we shouldn't, we, we, we're never going to convince anybody. Just listen to this. Glenn Beck's a really nice guy. I can remember sitting up on school nights with my conservative parents watching Fox News. Each night, this cherub-faced, baritone-voiced, middle-aged man with silvery blonde hair would work my family and millions of others like mine around the country into near frenzies of paranoia as he scribbled gibberish, gibberish diligently on his chalkboard with a team of experts to uncover what he considered the hidden truths of American history. Did you know FDR was pen pals with Mussolini? Well, yes, I did. Did you know the progressive left of the 1930s were friendly with the Nazis? Did you know the founding fathers weren't all racist who loved slavery? These were the kind of real humdingers that middle America thrived on in the age of Obama, when conservatives like my parents desperately wanted to believe that his reign was a secret plot from Satan to destroy the universe. My parents would sit wide-eyed and receptive like diligent students excited for the chance to know something that maybe their neighbors didn't. I, later, often modeled my social media presence after, uh, after the sensationalism like Beck's. Long rants on Facebook about history, the dangers of socialism, problems with the military-industrial complex, and even, yes, conspiracies about the Federal Reserve and 9-11, embarrassingly, a large part of my school media post in my 20s. Well, I could have helped you on that one, but I made a lot of Facebook fanboys and girls who followed my posts, and a lot of people thought I was an idiot. It was a real shock when I received a phone call from two-time Emmy nominee Riaz Patal, a producer, asking if I wanted to have dinner with Beck and some different-minded people to chat about the world's problems. Apparently, one of the show's producers had read my Facebook page. Patel is, in his own words, the poster boy for modern liberal Americans, a married gay man with two small children who, after Trump's election, spent the last year and a half trying to learn as much as he could about the political landscape to the right. Not surprisingly, that journey landed him at Beck's doorstep, and the two men have become great friends as well as co-producers on many of the Blaze's newest offerings. Patel's most recent idea was to partner with a group called Make America uh, Dinner Again, which small dinners are filmed as people from all walks of life discuss their differences over a meal. I was invited to Beck's studios in Irving along with a transgendered man, a liberal college professor, a conservative Christian, a Venezuelan immigration activist, and a radio DJ from K104. I was to fill the role of the young white libertarian musician who likes to talk a little bit about everything. When I arrived at the studios, Patel and Beck's staff met me with open arms, serving me as much coffee and snacks as I wanted while I waited for the other guests to arrive. None of us had ever met. After makeup uh, make and getting outfitted with mics, Beck finally walked out to the dinner table to greet all of us. He's taller than I had imagined, the edge of his shoulders towering slightly above the top of my head. He shook my hand and said he was glad to meet me and was excited to hear what I had to say. Don't worry about being too intellectual, he said. Be as intellectual as you want. 
The, bitter, the dinner began with a prayer from Trenton, the transgendered man, and we started passing around food prepared by Beck's chef. Patel and Beck began asking the group a series of general questions about the current events and the feelings we had about political minefield that is America today. Beck seemed conscious of adding follow-up questions designed for each individual at the table. Many subjects wandered and blended into others. Questions about personal feelings became discussions about technical economics. Questions about democracy became discussions about religion. Worries about gun violence became discussions about the threats of terrorism. The socialist college professor across the table from me quickly became the most outspoken and impassioned about his assuredness of the validity of his proposed solutions. He seemed to imply often that anyone on the right who disagreed with it was foolish and just buying into propaganda. He remarked to a cross look from Beck that Fox News uh, was really just an arm of propaganda for the state. Beck chuckled and redirected the conversation back to its original point. But the most moving moment was when Trenton opened up about his struggles. He and I had spent some time before the dinner talking about our shared experience of growing up in South Dallas and swapping locations of our favorite barbecue uh, locations. Um, uh, The revelation that he had spent the first half of his life as a woman came later in the dinner when Beck asked him to share his story. I was surprised to see looks of genuine sympathy on everyone's faces. Trenton was optimistic about the faith, faith uh, uh, the fate of transgendered people in America, but expressed serious concern about the levels of depression and suicide among his community. But the most surprising person of all at the table. Oh, no. Oh, I have to leave it there. Shoot. Wait until you hear the most surprising person at the table. It wasn't me. Most surprising person at the table. When we come back. Glenn Beck. Well, looks like we made it through the day. I mean, unless you were one of the Palestinians that uh, didn't understand what was coming. If you pushed your way through a fence and started throwing things at soldiers, um, the the embassy is now open in Jerusalem. Forty three people were killed in protests. But not as bad as I expected. Uh, We have two guys out on the streets now uh, in Israel, Dan Andros and uh, Jason Batril, who are are in Israel for a few days, been looking at the situation on the uh, on the Gaza border, if you will, and trying to figure out exactly what's going on and what the media is missing. Hello, Dan and Jason. Welcome. Thanks, Glenn. Hey, Glenn. What is the feeling? First of all, let's start with the embassy. What is the feeling in uh, Israel today about the embassy? I think that uh, pretty much what we've seen over really the past couple of days is that, uh, I mean, it depends on who you talk to. We uh, talked to some people in the old city in a couple of days leading up to when it opened just a couple of days ago. And uh, we talked to a bunch of Palestinians in East Jerusalem. They pretty much, uh, they, they were all about talking to the camera and telling us what their problems were and what made them mad. And they pretty much just said that, you know, opening up the uh, embassy was, you know, didn't have anything to do with Israel. They had no right to do that. And uh, they were obviously, you know, angry, but they also just wanted the situation over with because most of their, like, business dealings were, were in the old city. Now, we also talked to some Christians. Now, the Christians had an interesting perspective. We talked to one Christian that said, hey, we kind of feel like we're always the one played off the other. We always feel like that the Jews are one soccer team and the Muslims are another soccer team, and we're, we're the ball. We're basically the ones that are kind of getting kicked around. So we, they didn't really have an opinion. They just wanted it to be over with. 
Um, but I mean, really, it, it seems like the you know the media has descended upon Jerusalem. Uh, Dan and I have spent the time trying to uh, go where they're not because it seems like they're all chasing the same story, which is basically that the story is, is that. that of the embassy is a bad thing that uh, you know that, that Trump is doing something. The United States is doing something that uh, is going to uh, you know start a fight, basically, and uh, that we, they don't have any you know business doing it. That's what the media is saying. Um, so we've been trying to go away well, from that. Well, go yeah. ahead, Dan. Well, it's interesting when you look. I was going to say it's interesting when you look at um, the way the media's tone is towards this. They always take the side of, you know, Jason and I heard all different perspectives, but they always take the one perspective. When you actually go around the city, I mean, we saw all over the city were signs that saying Trump make Israel great. And, uh, you know, the, the American flag next to the Israeli flag is everywhere, all over the place. I mean, they had Petunia set up, uh, obviously took time to put that all out. I tweeted out that picture uh, today on my Twitter account, if you want to look. But um, obviously they care about this relationship, and yet the media doesn't bother to try to figure out why. So where are you guys now? Are you down at the border? Yeah, so we're uh, right now. We're like Dan and I right now are standing looking at the Gaza border. It's 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 it's, it's, in, it's engulfed in flames. There's smoke everywhere. There's sporadic gunfire, and there is the media row up here, which is all kind of waiting to uh, basically get the bad news. The problem is there's no context. We're we're sitting here looking at everyone reporting on the same thing, and you'll see like in the New York Times and all these other places where they're saying that okay, there's now 40 plus people that have been killed, but they're not providing any context. And we don't understand that because uh, I was in Bethlehem at another riot earlier in the day, and we wanted to see what it was like to be on the other side, to be on the Palestinian side. So we waded on into that, uh, to that riot, and that was not a peaceful protest. That is not what's going on. They were hurling rocks. They were tearing up the street, anything they could to fashion a weapon and to hurl it down at the IDF. I mean, it was crazy. The, the IDF was responding, but purely just to disperse the crowd. If they cannot do that, and you're seeing what's happening in Gaza right now, which is they, there is no, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing something. But in every other part of the country, when a border is stormed and invaded, there's no other way to respond. But you're not hearing that from the media. Or you're just not hearing that. Well, would yeah, it be? Glenn, you've got to hear this. Uh, Go ahead. One headline from the New York Times real quick, which says breaking news. Israel responded with rifle fire to a mass attempt by Palestinians to cross the border fence. So. So technically correct, but the framing of that is so interesting. And, and you know, like Jason said, uh, most countries would react the same way, but yet somehow these guys are vilified. Well, do you think it would be any different if they were coming across our border? I mean, when we had the when we had the March for Freedom, uh, you know, come up from Guatemala onto our southern border, if they would have been more militant than they were, if they would have tried to actually crash our gates... Yeah. We would have done the same thing, and I think the media would treat us as the monsters in the same way. I think you're yeah. exactly right. I, I think it's uh, I think it's media manipulation. I really do. And, and and if you want to know what it's going to look like, the, the more some of these groups are funded uh, coming up through Guatemala and South America, coming up to our border. Stay tuned, America, because you know what you're seeing right now in Gaza could very well happen uh, coming in the very near future where we have no choice but to respond. But I think that's exactly what they want, because you'll see exactly what Dan and I are looking at right at this moment, which is the media row with their cameras turned on, waiting to see and report not what, what, uh, what caused us to respond, but just the casualties on the other end. Not what they did to, you know, to, to uh, make this happen, but only the way we responded. I think that's what's coming. 
who are these people that are are storming the gates? Do you have any idea? Yeah, we uh, we actually talked to a really great uh, former IDF uh, intelligence uh, officer uh, just yesterday, and she went through, and we'll have all this in our special, but she went through all of the different uh, forces that are, you know, combining to kind of ignite these agitators here. And, um, you know, a lot of it is Iranian influence. You've got Hezbollah, you've got Hamas. And so that's what's infuriating when you hear all this going on down there. I mean, we've only been down here a few minutes, and, and we've already heard volleys of gunfire. Now, we can't know for sure we're far back, but... You know, I mean, are they, you know, it would be nice if the media could try to find out whether or not they're being, has anyone asked the IDF if they're being shot at? I mean, it sounded like a volley, but, uh, you know, but it would be nice if someone at least asked the question. But that's the thing that keeps, you know, being left out of these reports is, you know, if we know that Hamas, Hezbollah, and all these terrorist organizations are there, why is that not being included in the report? We're, we're about to have an interview with the you know, IDF uh, spokesperson, and we're going to find that, those answers out. All right, and we'll talk to you this afternoon at uh, 5 o'clock on the, uh, on the TV show and hope to see your faces there and maybe some of the uh, footage that you are gathering as well. Thank you so much, guys. Stay safe. Thanks. You bet. Thanks, Glenn. You bet. Thanks, Glenn. So before we took the break, I was reading this story from the Dallas Observer, and I don't think the Dallas Observer is, you know, necessarily friendly to the uh, to the Glenn Beck cause of the world. Do you, uh, Stu? I've no. not read the Observer. No. So, yeah. Okay. I, I would. I would doubt it. But yeah. Who knows? <laughs> but who knows? Okay. So um, it's it's written by one of the guys who uh, was invited to our Make America Dinner again. Uh, dinner and we invited people from all walks of life to sit down now the guy who wrote this is a libertarian and he wrote finishing the article for me the most surprising person at the table was riaz patel now this is the reason why i wanted to share this article with you people say to me all the time you're not going to change people's minds you're not going to change people's minds that's not true it's just not true. Now, it is true unless they come with an open mind and you come with an open mind. Are you really li- willing to listen to them? And when when they have something right, say, yeah, I have to give you that one. Yep, you're right. And are they willing to do that? Not everybody is, but some are. And those are the people that we need to spend our time on. He said, whenever the leftist college professor made a dismissive quip about the right or fired off the popular tropes of the left about gun violence, Patel was often the first to criticize the narrow mindedness of his reasoning. Those stats aren't actually completely correct, he might say, after some statistic about gun deaths and gun ownership. Beck, of course, was also quick to counter such statistics with data of his own. But the shocking thing was watching Patel be willing to remove his political bias and admit errors of leftist reasoning. He talked at length about his experience working for liberal media outlets and the pressure to conform language in programming to fit politically correct standards to the point of interfering with decent journalism. He discussed his fears about attacks on free speech from the left and how the obsession with identity politics was dividing people rather than bringing them together. 
In this midst of intellectual tempest, I did my best to get a word in without dominating the conversation. But my shining moment for the evening came when the socialist professor's solution to the world's problems was a new utopian market socialism, which blends the best parts of capitalism with socialism. Here was my chance. I rattled off the history of socialism in America and the world and the many forms it had taken, including market socialism and the many ways it had failed. Fascism in its original form was supposed to be that balance between market and the socialist. And the professor claimed the solution was the was the solution for the world's ills. Beck looked at me with a knowing smile of pride, like he were my distant uncle watching his nephew (laughs) score a touchdown. (laughs) It goes on, but that he's a really smart. He came to me beforehand. He said, I didn't realize how smart everybody was going to be said, I don't know why I was invited. I'm just a band member. And I said, don't worry, don't worry about it. You know, don't worry about the intellectuals. You be as intellectual as, as you want to be. And it was, uh, so he sat down and I didn't know what to expect from him. He was really super smart and really well read. We really knew who he was and knew what the facts were. Appreciated it. Yeah, it's usually the people who don't think they're smart in those scenarios that wind up being smart. Being smart. Because and the ones yeah. who think they're really super yeah. smart end up being the ones that are like, no. I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I like the professor, but he was, uh, uh, it was interesting to hear him say, well, those are just verifiable facts. And it was Riaz, because I, I said, ah, uh, and Riaz says, no, actually, that's wrong. That's not a verifiable fact. Right. And if we're not, I mean, honestly, if we're going to give up talking to people who are not convinced of our worldview, I mean, what's the point of this? I mean, the point of it is to try to tell, you know, try to inform people and and, and hopefully maybe they see your, 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 you know, see the light as far as you see it. But that doesn't, that's not the entire uh, breadth of of human interaction either. Um, But I mean, when you're talking about talking politics or talking about these issues, Convincing people who already believe them is not exactly a task. No. And and if we don't, what are we going to do? We're going to win the next election and then eliminate everybody who disagrees with us? Or is that what the left is going to do? Right. That's I mean, not, we, we have to we have to find some common ground. And, and, and that, that every time you say it like that, it makes you squeamish. I got to be well, honest. No, because it's, like, cause it's, you know, it's, I don't mean it that way. I, I know. I, yeah. I know you don't. I mean, finding common ground makes it seem like, you know, I don't know, John McCain or Lindsey Graham. Oof. Right. Like where you're just going to like, well, I'll just agree with the Democrats about 50 percent of the no, time. No, That's no, not no. what we're talking about. I don't here. mean about policies yeah. at all. Find right. our common humanity. Yeah. Find the things that bring us together. And the things that bring us together should be the Bill of Rights. Once we agree on the Bill of Rights and that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among these life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, we have it. But that's the thing that always brought us together was we believed those things. There's a lot of people that don't believe those things anymore. There's there's people who believe in in Marxist principles. Well, those go against the Bill of Rights. So I can't I can't agree with you. I have to I have to agree to disagree with you because those those philosophies are not found in our constitution and they don't work right they and, just don't work and demonstrating not only their, uh, their their pragmatic ability to solve the world's problems is part of it arguing it from a moral perspective is another um but the the bottom line is if you can't make these points 
and you don't make them with the idea of converting someone who doesn't believe them. I mean, Teen Vogue ran a, a thing this oh, uh, this oh, week yeah. about Karl Marx, like the ninth How Great Is Karl Marx ar- uh, article that we've seen in the past uh, a couple of weeks. Karl Car- Marx! <laughs> it's, it's Remember incredible. when you said yeah. the president was a was a Marxist and it was you were accused of being a a hater racist. and a racist mm-hmm. teen vogue is in love <laughs> with karl marx hell kind of magazine is teen vogue oh, at this point no i don't idea. even understand it you're you're a 13 year old girl looking for makeup tips and you get karl marx praise i don't understand it by the way revlon is not a marxist company i don't know if you know this none of the things that you advertise in your magazine you know your capitalist magazine has anything to do with marxism uh, Unbelievable! But you have to be able to talk to people who believe that, who yes. read that, and be and actually be won over by it. Well, so let's use this example: Seattle, Seattle, and Amazon. What's happening there? Hmm? We have to be able to find the answer to that. And unfortunately, I don't think I don't think capitalists win that one in Seattle. But l- let me frame the argument and tell you what's going on when we come back. We want to thank our sponsor this half hour. It's Mercury Real Estate. Listen, you want to sell your home? It's really tough. It's tough if you don't know the right real estate agent. And when I say you know the right real estate agent, they're not all created the same. They really are not. And I love this thing where people are, you know, I just, um, I, I, I got a guy because he's, he's cutting his, uh, he's cutting his, uh, uh, his uh, percentage and I'm getting a discount from him. You're getting a discount from him. If he doesn't know the value of his own work, how's he going to know the value of your home? You need a great real estate agent that has a track record of knowing the price, helping you set the price, and then selling for the highest price uh, available. Now, that takes an agent who is like you, does their own homework, um, where their word is their bond, where they just want a fair deal, Somebody who has been vetted and handpicked for their knowledge, their skill, and their track record. And then can come into your house and do it. Realestateagentsitrust.com. These are the people that will connect you with the right agent to sell your home on time and for the most amount of money. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. You want to sell your home? Go there right now. Realestateagentsitrust.com. So America 2020, 2024 is really going to be at a crossroads. Are we a capitalist society or a Marxist socialist society? Um, And that's going to require people to actually do more than just listen to their college professor. They're going to actually have to think. A showdown is now looming in Seattle where the city council planned on taking um, a, a vote on big businesses and uh, levying a new tax on these businesses, a tax of about $526 per employee. So Amazon uh, would be hit with a $25 million tax. And the, the city's like, well, it's Amazon. They can afford it. Well, Amazon said no, no. And they halted construction on a development site in northern uh, Seattle, and, and said, we're not going to lease space. We're not going to build any more space if you approve the tax. So they've postponed the, the vote. Well, no. No, I, if I'm Amazon, I want you to answer the question. 
Yeah, they're just going to impose the tax once you start building again. Once you're done, they'll be like, oh, by the way, that tax is back on the table. Okay, so here's here's what Seattle and King County declared a state of emergency over homelessness because the the average home, the median price for a house now in Seattle is seven hundred and seventy seven thousand dollars. Well, that's you're not alone. I mean, there's city after city after city that is like this. So the 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 businesses are saying, yeah, we've got to do something on homelessness. But listen to the city council. This is a message to the working people of America from Amazon saying that if you dare fight us, we'll threaten you with taking away jobs. And they're not taking away jobs. They're a business. They owe it to their shareholders to make the most amount of money for the shareholders. And if you do business in Seattle and they're charging you all kinds of taxes, it is their fiduciary responsibility to look at another space. They're not threatening jobs. You are. Especially in this environment where dozens and dozens of cities are producing videos to try to lure the next Amazon yes, headquarters to their right. to their city. The city council said people need to know what Jeff, Jeff Bezos is a bully. And people need to fight back against his ex- attempted extortion. Wait. That's what you're doing. Yeah, you're the one putting a new, a new term of impl- uh, of of business, right? They're having to add a whole new line on their business model to figure out how to pay for your stupid tax. That's you changing the rules, not them. A hundred companies, Alaska Airlines, Expedia, are opposing this, and three hundred small business leaders, you know, from coffee shops, mom and pop places, all across the uh, all across Seattle, said. This is only going to hurt small business in our community. Stop it, City Council. Back. Mercury. Welcome to the program. Uh, Pat and I had a shared miserable experience on Saturday. I call it a nightmare. (laughs) Would you call it a nightmare? Yeah. 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 We went to a, uh, we went to our, you know, our, our, my my daughter's ballet recital, a recital. And And my my granddaughters, because they're in the same. They're in the same ballet, unbeknownst to us initially. Yeah. They wound up there at the because there's these Russians that are really good. Mm. But they're intense, mm. man. Oof. They're really intense. And I and Mr. Yuli, um, who is the is the husband of the mother who was a Russian ballet person who taught her daughter who's now in the Russian, and the daughter is the teacher of the class, right? I don't know that convoluted story. I think so. I think so. Yes. Okay. So, all right. So, uh, the father at these ballet recitals comes out and he's it speaks with the heavy Russian oh, accent. You couldn't understand a word he said. Yeah. And he honestly is the best part of it. Okay. I mean, besides watching your child, <laughs> he's the best part of it. No, First of all, you have to mention that every catastrophe on earth, whether it's war, famine, lava, earthquakes has happened on the freeways and streets of fort worth texas they are so torn up it is so hard to get anywhere in that town i hate like poison i'd rather chew off my arm than drive to fort worth texas a couple of of fathers did which is where this Um, thing is and and so you get there and then ballet 
<laughs> Please don't do this to me. Please, I, I'm begging you with all that's in me. See, By all that is holy, good, your, and right, your, don't make me do this. It's your granddaughter. I don't I know. think I do it, it for my granddaughter. I, right. I, I, <laughs> wait, so I, you did it for your daughter. Oh, no, but I've been telling her she sucks for a while. I just mean, so really? she would... Yeah, and she doesn't. She's, she's very, really very good. good. She's really good. But, but just I, so you don't have to go to recitals oh, anymore, like, you're I just can't discouraging her. Do it no, you're the worst. Time. You're terrible. It's I like, wouldn't do this anymore. It's like <laughs> it's ballet. It's like it's got like three songs. Have you noticed that? Yes. They're like three songs. And you mm-hmm. have to sit there for sometimes three hours. Yeah. And they play the same three minute song like every third song. And you're like, oh, dear God, I, I've already seen this dance. I've seen it with yes. a four year old. I've seen it with an eight year old. I've seen it with a 12 year old. They do the same thing every and time. Soon, Mr. Yuli's daughter is going to come out and do it for 40 minutes. Oh, my gosh, <laughs> please. Can I pay you more not to watch your daughter dance? I honestly sat there and I thought, you know how we should do this is we should all have appointments. You know, Beck family at six fifteen to six, you know, twenty one. Watch your do- watch your daughter and leave. You watch your daughter. Next and family you're like, comes in. Watch watch your granddaughter and leave. Yeah. Yes, yes. I can barely tolerate watching my own family dance. <laughs> I can't tolerate other okay, people's so, children. So but. Cheyenne, Cheyenne was dancing. <laughs> Cheyenne was dancing, and I didn't see this because I gave up. I left. Uh, Wait, you but, let you missed Cheyenne? No, I saw like four of them, and they were all great. And yeah, I she cheered. Was, she was good. She was good, and mm-hmm. I cheered and everything else. But then the second half, the second half is the the ballet teacher dancing. I don't want to see the ballet teacher dancing. I don't care. Only I, if you I, enjoy I, enjoy ballet itself, do you stay for that. Which is which? Oh, we narrowed it to four people in the world, right? Right, right. 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 and right. they're all on stage. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Cheyenne was at one point. She's doing this. You know, she's dancing behind with the with the whole troupe, and you know, they just they're standing there or sitting there with their hands over their head. And at some point, I love this. At some point, she is so bored herself. She just puts her hands down on her head, and she's she's just kind of like zoning. And the girl next to her, she's like, "Oh my gosh, I forgot." I mean, she she was bored. I mean, if the ballerinas in the back are bored, you gotta believe you the know people the audience, in the audience wants to hang themselves. Yes, it's painful. Painful. Well, it was a painful. But experience. I like Mr. Yuli because he. You don't understand him. And Had no idea what he was saying. Yeah, but here's he could have been. He could have been announcing. Uh executions of Russian dissidents. I, I had no idea what he was talking <laughs> about. Is this the first time? And here's Yuri Andropov who's about to be hung by the neck until dead. I, I don't even know what he's saying. It could have been that. So he usually comes out and he's uh, this time he did it behind the curtain which I was very upset. I I want my money back because I, I go for Yuli. So Rafe and I go for Mr. Yuli. And uh, and because he comes out and he's always like and the, so the girls are going to dance now. Um, <laughs> they're not quite ready. So wife told me come out and talk a bit about uh, ballet. And I don't know much about what they're okay. They're ready now. Okay, here they are. <laughs> he does it. I swear to you, just like that. Yeah, and I is. love it. And Rafe, we were driving. <laughs> he's like, <clears throat> Dad. This time, I want you to watch Mr. Yuli, but I, but I want you to watch him with some empathy. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I have a theory that he's basically just coming out and saying, please, 
someone killed me. <laughs> I married woman. She was dancer. She was beautiful. Now I'm doing this. I don't know why. Please, someone <laughs> killed me. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rafe's dark sense of humor is pretty dwarf yours. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah. When, oh yeah! Oh my gosh! When That's insightful though. That's insightful. It, is. <laughs> it is. It is. Because he walked out in the beginning. He's like, "I'm not going to do this in front of crowd. I do this behind stage this time." And Rafe just looked at me and went, "That's sad." <laughs> <laughs> so he can fashion his noose. That's why. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. He's almost. So he's almost dead. He's dead oh, inside. <laughs> but I, what I do like about them is they're no nonsense, and they expect a lot of your kids. The they, Russians, they don't. Yeah, these Russians. Oh, they don't, don't care. Baby American children. No. They treat them like they're in the old Soviet Union. Oh yeah. And if you don't do well, they don't say nice job. They say you did not do well. That's bad. Do again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, and, and it takes Our a certain kids had kind of a, kid to be able to handle a it. A Russian artist who was yes. the same. Yes, to, she is exactly okay, so the same. Our kids both had Russian ballet from these Russians who were like, you dance like Claude. <laughs> You are a spastic person. <laughs> you should have in in my country we would have had legs removed from kids like you. And it's the same in art class. Right, in art class. You do something and you think it's pretty good. No, bad do again. Yet. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Unfortunately, it never seemed to work in the Soviet Union. You know, they made crap all the time. It mm-hmm. just seemed to work in gymnastics and ballet. And ballet. Yep. That's it. <laughs> but please, don't allow your kids to go into ballet. Don't. No. It's a racket. Terrible idea. Absolute racket. Little girls look at the end product of that and think, I would love to be that. But that's uh, it's a moment when you're on stage and you're you're doing your little thing that they do and, and getting the applause. And that's it. No one wants to actually stand on their tippy toes for that long. I will tell you. No one wants to watch it. I was really impressed. I went to Circus Soleil, you know, years ago. And I'm like, look at these kids and how they can, they're so flexible. Now go to go to go to go to ballet. The kids are unbelievable. They're like Cheyenne can Cheyenne can, you know, people say, you know, you're talking out your butt. She can do that. She can bend in ways that I don't think the human body is supposed to do. There's something there is something about staying that limber and and, yeah. and nimble. I often think about um if I were to spend every moment uh, that I had a, while awake for the rest of my life, I do not believe I could touch my toes once. No, I can't. Uh, like I, I, can't. I even l- when I legitimately was... spend multiple minutes per day trying to figure out how to do things uh, that that are on the floor without going to the floor. Yeah, like trying to scoop up my 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 foot and like you know a shoe. And like it get you know how you get it on and sometimes the lip of the back of the shoe yes. you can't get yes. it, you can't get it on yes it's I I that's why I'm that's why I'm I'm always looking for new shoes it's the shoe's fault I, right well that's what I, I've been thinking but I've been thinking like okay I uh, you know uh, maybe I'm just getting to the point to where you know all people get to where you're like I just want Velcro. You know, but I don't want Velcro. Don't you know, like Velcro's those Velcro work. It's too much work. Right. I want Velcro. I want. I just, I think I can handle if I can just put on my socks 
and then I have Velcro in the soles of my shoe, but I don't have to have anything on the outside of it. So the Velcro just sticks to my sock. Because I could put socks on on Monday, hmm. wear them all week. Right. I mean, if I cut out the showers, <laughs> then I could just... Well, that's why they should have socks made out of water-resistant materials. So you could take showers with the socks on, and then you don't have to change them. Well, if you go, oh my gosh, if you made it out of that scuba stuff, you know, that kind of rubbery stuff. Yeah, right. And then you just, Stu, you're a genius. Because then we sew the Velcro, the mm-hmm. sticky part on the bottom of that. You got scuba socks. There you go. <laughs> and regular shoes that don't look like old men's shoes. You're like, I just got out. of. I just, I just, I was scuba diving. I just, I just got out of that. Well, I, I think too. A lot of people would look at this, and it sounds like like we're old and lazy, uh, and perhaps out of shape and not flexible. But isn't this real? At this point, isn't this the shoemaker's fault? I mean, I, hey, we, oh, we got to put ties, we got to put uh, laces or Velcro on the shoes to make them fit properly. How about making them fit properly? How, is that an option? How about you make the shoe that fits my foot? So that I don't have to tighten it. It's not going to fall off because I don't know it's the right size. And then I don't need to bend. How about that? What kind of country do we live in in which we're supposed to bend down and tie our shoes? I'm an adult. I stand two feet. That's the way it's supposed to work. See, you are dismissing technology and the truth of shoes. And the truth of shoes is we're not going to need them much longer. Because... Everything will be delivered into our house where we have carpeting and comfy floors. Mm. And so everything will be delivered to us. So we just stay inside. Stay inside. I, we need delivery to actually open up the door for us. I mean, I need them to go the extra mile. I don't want to go to the door. No, I, that's ridiculous. Right. right? There should be some right. sort of moving walkway at the right. very least. Right. I guess if I there. have to get up, mm-hmm. I'd rather just have them bring it to the couch. When they say the address, you know, what's your address? And say, well, I'm going to give you the address, but also just come on in, go down the main hall, turn right. I'm in front of the TV. Just drop it there on the table. I may not even say anything to you. Because I'm paying paying for it now and I'm adding the tip. Yes, sir. Good. Then I'm not talking to the person. Just just bring it in. Drop it on the table in front of me. Don't block the TV. I'll grunt for wonderful service. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 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 You'll know I'm still alive. And would you pick up the old pizza boxes that you delivered (laughs) through the last week, please? Okay, you need a security system for your home. Maybe you don't own your own home. Maybe you do, but you don't want to pay $50 a month. Maybe you have a business that needs an alarm system. The best thing you can do is check out Simply Safe. How can how can you protect your home and your privacy? Simply Safe has found the way to do it. Look, Simply Safe, they're they're really a group of people just like you. They're not like other security companies. When they came to me with the uh, Simply Safe camera uh, that you can control from your own phone, they they said this about I don't know about four years ago. We're coming out with a camera, and they gave me the camera, and it was a really nice camera. And they said, hey, "Here's here's the first one off the line. We wanted you to have it." And I said, "Oh, that's great, thank you." And it was really nice. Then the camera didn't come out. Well, the camera's just been released. 
And so when I was talking to him, I was like, why didn't why didn't you ever put out the camera that you gave me? And they said, because we were thinking about it and it has a lens. And I don't know, it kind of creeped us out that, you know, are, is somebody watching all the time? And so we wanted to put a lens cover on it and something that you could hear. It had to be metal so you could hear it. Something that would work over and over and over and over and over again for years to come. But you could hear it go So when it opened, you'd know, okay, it's on. I thought that was, I mean, that's the kind of thinking that they do. They also put a little light on it. So not only can you hear it open, but a light goes on. They want you to know, yep, this system is now armed and it's watching this room. And if you don't want it to watch that room, you punch your phone and it closes down. Just punch the phone. Anytime that's the function, you just punch your phone. If your name was phone right now, (laughs) I would punch you so hard. Simply safe. It's not just home security. It's uh, home security done right. Go to simplysafebeck.com for 10% off your home security system. It's simplysafebeck.com. Do it now. Simplysafebeck.com. Did you uh, did you read the latest on uh, is Jordan Peterson enabling Jew hatred? Oh no, is he? <laughs> Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, I he's know. enabling it, so he's, he's not enabling. doing it. He's not doing it. He's enabling it. And I think he's enabling it by, um, you know, appearing with uh, Ben Shapiro. Uh, the guy who's the target of the most anti-Semitic attacks on the entire Internet? Yeah. You, you hmm. can't see how that's working? No, I, also, I can't. Also, Dave Rubin, another Jewish guy who he's on the road with currently. Um, he's enabling the Jew hatred. How is he so. doing this? So hmm? appearing with Jews enables Jew hatred? I'm... Very confused, as usual. Well, I'm not going to sit here and try to break it down for you, Stu. No, you yeah, understand. I didn't think you would. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't understand it, quite honestly. Uh, you know, he's um, uh, he's answered, this is from the quote, quote from the book, he's answered questions about global Jewish influence several times in person and online. In an April blog post, he attributed that alleged influence to Jewish intelligence, an old anti-Semitic dog whistle. <laughs> in other words no, he was saying because they're smart the reason why, the reason why some jews are because he was answering questions about how you know um how anti-semites say well they control the world and he's like no they don't control the world they maybe maybe just maybe people are successful because they're intelligent oh my gosh now oh my I see gosh it. what now an anti mm-hmm. what an anti-semite mm-hmm. this guy is It's despicable, despicable what they're trying to do now to Jordan Peterson. Glenn Beck, Mercury.